0: And welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher.
1: I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about playing games solo. Not playing solo games, that's completely different. What we're talking about is playing non-solo games by yourself, taking on multiple player positions, from teaching yourself a new game to trying out different strategies against yourself. We'll talk about some of the reasons you might want to do this. We'll also take a look at what types of games are most easily played in this way.
2: But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, the SGC, and Thomas Atchoretti. And a thank you to all of our other patrons as well. So Eric on BGG says... Right off the bat, he's like, Chris, your subject line is redundant. I think you mean against yourself and not by yourself, right? So I'm wondering, I, I don't know that I mean against myself.
1: What if you're playing a co-op?
2: Then I'm playing with myself, by myself. I, I think by myself I is a better term. That
1: would, be, <laughs> that would be inappropriate for a podcast,
2: <laughs> Great. Now I have to change the rating on this one. I don't know if you can ever really
0: <laughs> play against yourself. I mean... You always
2: win and you always lose. So, and and that's, and I, Eric, first of all, thank you for bringing this up because this wasn't originally in my show (laughs) notes.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) I mean, I put it under banter, but I'm like, this, this really isn't banter. This is actually a really good question to ask when you're doing this. So, just let's back up a little bit first. So, when we're talking about playing a board game, typically we do it as we get around in a group and we're going to, it's a social you know, construct, we get together. Now there are solo games out there, games specifically meant to play solo. And this is not what we're talking about today. There's, I think we did two full episodes on solo games. This is playing a multiplayer game, but you are the only person playing it. And does that mean that you're playing against yourself? Or does that mean that you're playing by yourself? Um, Fletcher, I know that you've done this in the past. You've been playing, played games by yourself. Or against yourself. How would you determine yes, that? I'm, a I'm a loser. Like... I get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm about to ask Kitty because I don't know if Kitty has. But first of all, I just want to get your take on this. Do you think you're playing against yourself or are you playing by yourself?
0: I mean, I would probably... S- I mean, if someone were to ask me, I'd probably say I'm playing against myself. Especially in, like, two-player games. Like I mentioned before, and you've commented on, like, Stratego. Like, <laughs> I'm definitely playing against... I've played, like, chess, by, you know by
2: myself. I wonder but, if against yourself is a superset and by yourself is like a subset of against yourself.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think they mean the same thing. I I am
2: not sure. I don't know. What about you, Kitty? Have you played any games by yourself?
1: Yes. I have played Keyforge this way. Yep. Um I also my question is does playing on the app count or is that a different so- topic?
2: I think it's a different topic, but it can come up here because I think that one it depends the, on the game. Yeah. So it depends on the game whether or not you're th- you feel you're playing against yourself or not.
1: Yeah. Well, or playing by myself. So playing Pandemic on the app, it's literally just playing the exact same board game, but it does the fiddly bits for you. So, you know, you just don't have to, like, move seats and look at the cards and you don't have to move the cubes for yourself. It feels exactly like if you had set up the game on your table and played it each player taking the turn. So, for the, um, and, so and that I, one I count.
2: Yeah. And I, well, I think for that, so I think we want to eliminate co-ops and solo games. Cause I do agree where pandemic is meant to be played with more people. I guess it really is a soul. It's a group solo game when it comes down to it, especially if you're playing open hand, which, which is what the app does for you.
1: So if we're eliminating co-op games, I think then we are, um, say it has to be against yourself then. I think because playing by yourself, you can do a co-op game. You can do something that's made to be more, uh, less competitive, I yeah. guess. When you're competing against yourself, you're playing against yourself. You know, it's it's the competitive nature if you're playing against a board or if you're playing against yourself.
2: All right. I think I'm convinced. I think against yourself is the correct term here. So, Eric? I think
1: they're both correct terms, <laughs> but perhaps against yourself is a more correct term. <laughs>
2: I'm I'm literally going in and then changing our show notes to playing against yourself. Against and this is this is exciting radio. Yeah. This and is your podcast. Hear those little here. clicks. Boom. Let's live edit. Okay.
1: Tap tap. Tappity tap. <laughs> All
2: right, Eric, you win. So playing against yourself. This is what we're talking about today. Um I started this with Keyforge and because I wanted to play more games of Keyforge, And even though I like playing games and I have lots of friends who like playing games, I still want to play games more than pretty much anyone else I know or anyone else I have access to on a regular basis or anyone else that someone else might want to play but doesn't have the time or whatever. So I started playing Keyforge against myself because I'm like, well, I want to try out these two decks that are very different. And KeyForge is lending itself to you play against the board state. It doesn't matter, like you you don't need to react to anything that the person's doing. So I can play against the board state, and this opened up a door accidentally to me playing other games against myself as well. And it made me like I have a new appreciation of this. Up until a few months ago. I would have never even considered this. And I'm pretty sure I said this, even playing solo games, I'm pretty sure I said, like, yeah, you know, getting a game out, setting it all up, you know, it just seems like a whole lot of hassle to play it by myself. But now that I am, I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of interesting. So I don't know. What what are your guys' take on this? Like, so Fletcher, when you are playing a game by yourself or against yourself, actually, when is the last time you played a game against yourself?
0: Ooh. Uh, probably not for a long time, actually. I can't even remember. The last game I played, it was a solo game I played by myself, was Friday. And I did that maybe a few weeks back. Um, but I
2: can't, I don't know, years probably. So what stops you from playing a game? Well, I mean, I guess what stops you from playing a game against yourself? Is it just you've grown out of that, you don't have time... Like, uh, probably I've grown out of it and I don't have
0: time. Yeah. Like this is something I did when I was young, when I had lots of time and I had no money. Um, and I had a ton of board games that nobody wanted to play. And when I say nobody, I mean like my mom and my dad, cause I was an only child. Uh, cause I don't know. My dad is at work How and quiet, my mom is like doing mom been. things. <laughs>
1: I Uh, guess I can't imagine what that feels like to not have a sibling who's bringing you the game being like, play with me, play with me, because that was my experience growing up because I was always the one who was like, fine, I'll play because my older sister was always the grumpy and who's like, no, go buy their kitty.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We were the second of four as well.
1: Yeah, there were a lot of us. There was always somebody to play something with.
2: Yeah, no, I grew up in a big empty house. So maybe that describes my current situation where I have a lot of time at night. So it seems like around midnight. Oh, I get my second wind around 10 or 11 at night. And with the baby, I'm like, well, he's going to wake up a couple times a night anyway. So I'm just going to stay awake. It makes life easier than trying to sleep and getting woken up every hour or so, where then you go insane. So I will set up games and like kind of like just set up the game and like read over the rules and obviously everyone else is sleeping and there's no one else around. And I have more games than I know what to do with. And I'm trying to play through all these games that I haven't yet played. So I accidentally played one of these games through. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'll just take the first turn. <laughs> it, it, it's really, that's how it happened. I like set up, I think it was, um, uh, age of sale endeavor or endeavor age of sale. One of those It's it's kind of, um, I don't want to say a dry Euro, but it's kind of a dry Euro. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, this sort of makes sense. I'm going to set up two players. I'm just going to you know, play a turn or two to kind of get a feel for it. And before I knew it, I was halfway through the game and I was rooting for like me, one of me two. and not for, <laughs> well, I was rooting for player one, but player two was winning. But when I was playing player two, I'm like, I got to do what's best for player two and it just kept beating player one and cutting off player one's strategies. And I specifically played different strategies you're, with both of them.
0: You're really bad and really good at this game. <laughs> I know.
2: <laughs> well, it was weird, though, because I'm like, all right, if I do this and I'm going to mess him I up there. need to get there. inside his head. <laughs> <laughs> That's what was, I was thinking, though. And I think you need to be a little bit schizophrenic to do this, maybe, but it ended up being a whole lot of fun, and I played the game all the way through, and I'm like, oh, I feel like I, I can actually check this game off as played. Like, I I got the full experience of this game, and I played two games at the same time, because I played, you know, the game times two. Kitty, you agree?
1: <laughs> I do. Nodding works really well on podcasts. Um, yeah, so I think it takes, like... You have to be competitive to do this because you want to win when or you're really sleeping. Like you have to. <laughs> you have to have a lot of free time. I did this. Um, I'm, you know, mostly a stay at home mom, so a lot of the time I am alone with my kid, and he's sleeping for parts of the day. So I would play KeyForge online. I would do the Crucible online, but uh, when I was getting ready to play in the tournament, it doesn't give you a feel for actual physical gameplay sometimes. Number one, it gives you like an advantage of it always gives you the text like, oh, you automatically forge your key. You don't need to remember to flip it. You automatically do these things that you have to do for yourself when you're playing in person. So I wanted to practice playing with physical pieces, making sure that when I capture and steal, I do everything right. So I set up a game where I played against myself. And it's true that you do kind of pick the player that you want to win, or more accurately, I think it's the strategy that you think is the better strategy, and you want to like prove it to yourself. But it's hard. Um, I have one deck from Keyforge that has Epic Quest in it, and I just want to make it work. <laughs> but it's not a good enough deck to make it work, and it just bums me out. But every time I play it, I'm like, this is the time. I will make Epic Quest work. I will forge my third key off turn, and it'll just be like a blowout. And every time something happens. And last night, I played against our friend Doug. And it was the same thing as when I play against myself. It still doesn't work. (laughs) And it's always a bummer.
2: (laughs) So and when you make those moves, it's like, so you're playing the Epic Quest deck. And for those who are familiar with Key Forge, Epic Quest is a card where you Basically, you archive all your knights. And if you ever play more than, I believe, seven Sanctum cards in one turn, you get to forge a key. If you don't play Key Forge- At no cost. At no cost, (laughs) yep. If you don't play Key Forge, just assume that this is a card that requires a certain amount of finesse to make work. And it's, it's kind of a trap card because it looks like it should be good, but it requires that you play completely for this card. And that can be problematic. So when you're playing against yourself, you're playing against the Epic Quest deck now, and you, you're you going to make moves that are the best for the deck that's in front of you. But every time you do it, you sort of have it in the back of your mind. It's like, oh, I'm going to screw over my Epic Quest move on the other side, but I, I still have to do this. Now, did you I have cheat? To do it, yeah. Did you cheat? No. See? That's good.
1: You can't. I mean, I think Keyforge lends itself very well to this because you're so limited in your choices that you make. You call a house, you play the cards, you're going to use everything in your hand from that house most of the time. It really like, it's easy to make those decisions in the moment. And like, you're sitting in that seat. I think actually physically moving spaces really helps. And I think this is why you do it too, is you have the physical dedicated space where you can set it up and have five empty seats around your table (laughs) and leave it there. Yeah. Because it's making a huge mess of my dining room all the time.
2: What are you thinking, Fiverr?
0: Well, I was just thinking about that, too. uh, Because, you know, you need the dedicated space. Like, I have one table that's big enough for, like, a big board game. It also happens to be the dining room table. Right. So, if you want to eat, you have to put away any (laughs) kind of game that's going on there.
2: Yeah, and I have multiple designated spaces. Um, It's a little sad. I, I also bought a house specifically so I could have a game room, and now I have four. But... um. I have the designated a game, game room. Yes, it's a game house. I have the dining room. I have the kitchen counter, which is where I play KeyForge, and then I have the basement, <laughs> which will soon have its own table down there too. But I, the the physical moving is really important for me to like change my mindset. It, it's a literal, it's a literal change, change of perspective.
1: It's exactly what I was going to say, and, Jinx.
2: Yep. Now, and Sydney will play KeyForge uh, against herself as well, but she does it side by side, and. Like, I think for her, it still works. But in my mind, like, I don't know that I could do it as effectively if I was playing side by side. I can make it work in a crunch, of course. But the actual moving, like, when, I, when I'm when i playing on the kitchen counter, one side of the counter is one deck and the other side's the other. And I literally walk around, I pick up the cards, and in the act of doing that, I forget what I'm trying to do on the other side. Like, you have to kind of try to forget, but I just forget that. And I look, here is the board, here are the cards I have. What is the best thing I can do? And like people have been playing chess against themselves for, I think, for as long as chess has existed. So this isn't a new concept by any means. And I think that's an interesting thing. Like playing against yourself, do you think you can get better playing against yourself? Like I, the standard, what I've heard is if you want to get better, you play against someone who's better than you. Can you get better playing against yourself? You
0: could definitely learn the rules better and learn some different yes. strategies. So I guess, yes. But I don't think you can get... You, I don't think you can be the best. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you know what I mean. Like, I am the best at
2: knowing what I'm going to do. That Well, true. And you're not exposed think- to as many different ideas and concepts. But unless you give yourself permission to try different ideas and strategies yeah, and such.
0: Yeah, but you don't even know what ideas and strategies... Like, you don't know what you don't
2: know. Yeah, that's true.
1: There are some games that definitely lend themselves more to this. And I think... Keyforge, you can get better because I think a lot of Keyforge is learning your deck, learning your combos. And if you're somebody like Chris who has a ton, a ton of decks, you're going to be coming up against different decks all the time. So you're playing a different deck. You're coming up against. So for like tournament prep, I would play my same deck that I planned on bringing against every other deck that I owned. Good, bad, everything in between just to see. Even if I thought this was a bad deck, oh, surprise, it has this thing that showed a weakness in my deck. And I wouldn't have seen that otherwise, necessarily. But there are some games that you just cannot do this with. And, you know, you're not going to get good at something where you need, like, heavy strategy. Something like Photosynthesis. Photosynthesis you're not going to get a lot better at that because you're playing against yourself and yourself is making the same kinds of mistakes, leaving the same kinds of openings for the other you.
2: Well, and that's actually an interesting example as well so photosynthesis if you haven't played it um you're attempting to grow trees and you grow trees by getting energy from the sun the sun is going to rotate around the board but the trees the bigger they are the more energy they can get but they can they also cast shade so if you have a big tree in front of a little tree that little tree isn't going to get any energy until the sun rotates around so then the big tree isn't shading it anymore so in that game you are not only trying to optimize your move you're trying to minimize your opponent's ability to get sun. Now I I do think I to a point I agree with you that if you're using the same strategies, you're not going to get better at it. But I do think that if you If you spend more and more time thinking about what you're doing and you're trying to block out one opponent versus the other, that is a game that may benefit from playing solo or playing against yourself because you're going to try different things. It's like, okay, so I'm going to start out building in the middle instead of building at the edges so I can get bigger trees, but I'm still going to try to stop myself from getting that shade. So how can I prevent myself from doing the strategy that I'm trying to do?
1: Yeah, I guess I've turned around on this one because you can get better at puzzles Yes. And doing it like this, it becomes a puzzle. It's a puzzle with some unknown variables in there because, you know, you have to not know what you're going to do on your next turn, not be thinking about it. Uh, I think that long term strategizing can be confusing while you're playing against yourself. But I don't know.
2: I like the puzzle. Like something like
1: Sudoku, you get better at Sudoku and you're only doing it solo. At least a lot of people do. Yeah. You know, you learn you more. <laughs> well, you would think. I'm sure there's somebody out there, though, who's like, I only do easy Sudokus, and that makes me happy, and I don't need to do medium, hard, or super hard. <laughs> and I
2: never finish them. <laughs> <laughs> but there's that's a good point, though. So Sudoku, I think a lot of those puzzle type of things, when you're playing you play to a level that you're happy playing at. So I'm happy playing at just the medium level of Sudoku. I never try the hard ones because I just can't wrap my head around them and I don't want to try them. But I, I'm fine playing the mediums. So I've gotten myself from easy to medium and I stopped there. So I think if you take that same concept, you can apply it to board games that you're playing against yourself. Now say that, you know, Kitty and I, um, this was a couple of Christmases ago, we got a master <laughs> Sudoku book. And it was Killer like Sudoku, Sudoku, Killer or Sudoku. some Sudoku. Yeah. And we sat there and we did it together. And by doing that, we were starting to introduce strategies that we each used that the other did not. And we were able to solve harder puzzles by working together and exposing ourselves to new ways of thinking that we would not have necessarily found had we just picked up the puzzles by ourselves.
1: So I do think we might have come to the same level of play, but I think by doing it together, we definitely got better faster than either of us would have on our own in the same time frame. I do think it takes longer to learn without somebody there to kind of introduce new ideas. Like Everyone has kind of their own way of thinking, and as much as you can try to change that up as you move player to player, you're still going to think the way that you think. There's just only so far out of those shoes you can get.
2: On the other side of that, is it a safer way? So, say that you you really like playing Keyforge, and we, we're using Keyforge as an example because it's an easy one. Um, we'll jump to some other games as well in a, in a few minutes. But say you really like playing Keyforge, but every time you play it, you just get trumped because you're just not good at it. So, in a situation where you can play against yourself, do you raise that core competency? by yourself in a safer zone where it's like, okay, I can get comfortable playing this game without having to feel like I'm constantly getting beat down playing somebody else.
1: I think you can. And I think you can also reinforce your own mistakes. So if you're doing something wrong by yourself, nobody's going to catch it. Nobody's going to tell you, nobody's going to correct you. So if you are Looking up rules, you're looking up strategies, you're watching videos as you do this, and then using them to jump off and practice and make sure that you're really educating yourself. Because I think it is much, much easier to reinforce wrong behaviors to yourself.
2: But are you really playing wrong if you're playing, if you're both playing by the same rules and you are both of you?
1: But if you're trying to get good enough to play against a real person,
2: yes, you are you're gonna go out in
1: the world and you'll be wrong. And then all of that practice playing wrong won't have really helped you.
2: All right. Let's switch over to board games. There are certain board games where this just does not working. Work does not working. Does not working well. <laughs> <laughs> not.
1: You mean I can't play Battlestar Galactica alone? Correct.
2: That is a very bad <laughs> game to try and play by yourself. I can't um, play
0: One Night Ultimate Werewolf alone?
2: Nope. <laughs> nope. You're you're going to probably be able to win every time or lose every time. I don't know how that works, really. Um, so there are certain games that this kind of like goes away. And if you try to essentially hidden information um, or games that interrupt other players' turns – uh, magic, if we're going to go with card games, Magic the Gathering, for example, every time you do something in Magic the Gathering, your opponent has the opportunity to react to it. Those types of games are just really, really hard to play against yourself. And you're probably playing a different game if if you're trying to do that at all. Um You're not playing Are You a Werewolf by yourself. It's just no matter how you do it. <laughs> You can't have 15 conversations. And if you can, that would make an interesting YouTube video. Post it when I want to watch it. Uh, Not really. You
1: know, (laughs) I saw a really great play one time and it was a murder mystery and there were only two actors and one of them played the detective and one of them played every single suspect. And it was actually pretty great.
2: So. <laughs> there was a We were talking about board game media. There's one that uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it's one person who does all the different roles and he, he plays all the players and he just changes his shirt. So has a red shirt, a blue shirt, a green shirt, and he'll film himself taking the turns with just different shirts on. So he's acting all those roles up. So I, there's some clever things you can do with that for sure. <laughs> but so you have to kind of say, all right, not every game is going to be good at this. Open information games, though, Absolutely, lend themselves to this. Um, I've talked about Homeworld in the Pyramid Arcade set. It basically is a full open information um, plays. Uh, again, you, the closest you can equate it to is something like chess, but it looks nothing like and plays nothing like chess. But so those types of games, sure, you could play checkers against yourself. Absolutely, Euro games. I would say that most of them are easily played against yourself because can you there's define
0: Euro game.
2: So. A game that is primarily, and then now I'm going to have to define another term, but is primarily input randomness as opposed to, um, hidden information or output randomness. Um, and actually output randomness you could do as well. So what is input and output? Input randomness is the random element of the game is generated before you make a decision. And the decision you make is deterministic. So you may have, you may have three cards in your hand and you're going to use one of those cards. But when you use that card, you know exactly what it's going to do. Output randomness is you have, you know, you're going to play one of those cards and it's going to have you roll to see what actually happens. It's not that output randomness can't be played against yourself. I think it can. And in a lot of cases, it might actually even be more interesting. Um, But I think the thing that Euro games also tend to have is more open board states. Rarely do you have hidden information in a Euro game. It can happen, but. For Euro games that have fully open information, nobody has like a hand of cards that they can interrupt you with. I think that this can work with just fine. Um, I'm going to, and now that I'm going to say that, I'm going to break this by saying Wingspan. And I'm saying that because I think that's the most recent one we've all played together. There is a set of cards, a small hand. You have a small hand in Wingspan. But most everything you're doing on the board is open information.
1: You also don't use your cards as like, They do one thing. Right. They don't do a lot of things. It's not like, oh, I have to use these cards in different ways. It's like, they're your birds. They play out onto your board. You don't have to use them during anyone else's turn.
2: And you don't, if you're playing your turn, you're not really concerned with what someone has in their hand because there's nothing you can do to stop it anyway. So maybe you split this from not Euro games, but like um, engine building games or what some people refer to as like a multiplayer solitaire game, which is sort of what yeah. Wingspan is. There's some interaction in, in what cards you can draft, but ultimately you're doing your own thing.
1: Yeah, it's more like non I don't know what the word is. Minimal I feel like there's a word here. Minimal
2: I'll... interaction between players.
1: Yeah. It's more like where you're the way you affect other players is passive, not aggressive.
2: Yeah, or not interruptive. I think is probably the key for being able to play yeah. uh, play a game by yourself. So yeah. it is
1: what you do on your turn that affects the other player, not what you do on their turn.
2: Right. So would you guys play Wingspan against yourself?
1: I think I'd be more likely to play because they have the um, Autama
2: yes. version. So, so would you yeah, be more willing? like what was that Fletcher? Fletcher?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I probably would be able. I would probably play that game against myself.
2: So this, so this this one leads to an interesting one because it has the Automa which is a way of making kind of a it's a dummy player uh solo p- mode where the dummy player for all of Stonemayer's games he has um it's this is company called I I think the company is called like Automa or something like that but anyway it is a player that interacts with the board in a way that simulates what other players how other players would interact but doesn't actually follow the rules. It just changes the board state the way a player would if the, that player was playing the rules. So sure. now we have two choices here. We can play the automa, which is flip a card, do what it says and the board state is changing, or you can play two different sides and you're still changing the board state but now you're making decisions for two different players. Which one's more appealing?
1: I think that the Automa is more appealing to me because it's a different feel. I don't have to, I, I guess because I know Wingspan, I play it, I'm familiar with it, I'm not learning, I don't want to be fussing with as much stuff, I don't want to necessarily have to move seats and have a lot going on, I can just sit in one spot and do what I need to do, I would prefer that, but... I would play either way.
0: Fletcher, do you think you have a preference? I think I would probably, probably do the Automa,
2: just because it seems really interesting. So for me, I think the reason that, so a lot of games, I, I, I don't want to give a percentage because I honestly don't know, but a lot of games these days are coming out with one to one, one plus player counts. But oftentimes that one person player count is a slightly different game than if you're playing against somebody else. It can be as something as simple as, you know, you're trying, you have a target score um and you're simulating like an, in a worker placement game where you're you're choosing where your workers are going to go. There might be some random way that spots get you know blocked off if you're playing a single player. Um it could be that the rules like change or like wingspan that has an a dummy player that you're playing against. But in almost all cases, the single player rules are slightly different. And when I started doing this, where, you know, I was just started setting up games and kind of playing through turns in my, in the back of my mind, I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to teach myself the game so that I can play the solo version because I need to know how the game plays so that I understand why the solo version changes are as they are. And once I did that, I had no desire to actually play the solo version. If I was able to play multiple spots, because again, it felt to me like I was playing the game twice in the span of it took me one time through, and there was no downtime. Like I was always doing something. So I also sort of liked that. Not that there's downtime when you're playing solo, but I got two games with no downtime in the span of one, and it was really accidentally compelling. And I guess I'm trying to encourage people to try this out just to see... But I know we have some input that is why would we ever do this? Like why would you want to do this? So let's let's jump should, to
1: Should we move on to some feedback? <laughs> yeah. Because I've got a good one here. All right. <laughs> Times go, way done. Do yours. All right, so I'm going from Eric here. He says, on the surface, this sounds awful. If I told somebody outside the hobby I was playing a board game by myself, they would picture me pretending to be multiple people playing Monopoly or Scrabble, a loser that couldn't get anyone to play with me, so I play against my imaginary friends. <laughs> Even when I had been in the hobby for several years, the thought of solo gaming turned me off. I could only picture myself trying to pretend to be all of the imaginary players In my mind that didn't know each other's strategy and hidden information. Trying to make these decisions as if I didn't know a secret information. Trying to make decisions as if I didn't know secret information sounds horrible. However, I have used a technique a couple of times in order to learn the rules. Still, I do not consider it to be playing a game. Playing a game solo mode or playing co-op is entirely different as I'm not playing against imaginary players and not pretending not to know hidden information.
2: So I find this one is interesting because he doesn't Like, if if he does this, he doesn't even consider that he's playing the game.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of people do this when learning a game, or especially when they're trying to learn it to teach others. And you don't play through the whole game. You just play three or four rounds, you figure it out. And I do think that some games lend themselves better to continuing past that point of it still being fun to do. But... I think it's a great learning tool. And I know a lot of people do it when they get a new game to learn it is to sit down and do this. But almost no one finishes and scores that game.
2: See, that's where I accidentally just started finishing it. Now, I will say, since I've started doing this, Keyforge aside, and I, I'm pretty sure I know why Keyforge, and I'll, I'll tell you why, but um, I have only ever done this once. Um, well, only ever played each game once. So I'll play through yeah. a full game as multiple players. But after I do that, I'm like, okay, I got a good feel for this game. I could teach it. I know whether or not I like the game or not. I can put it back and I can go on to the next game and do this. If I was there is something still stopping me from pulling that game down and playing it again as with multiple players. And I think part of that is I have a bunch of other unplayed games that I can still do this with. But if I run <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. But if I run out of games, there are certain games that I want to go back and play again that are just too much to want to teach someone else, but I know the game, I like the game, and I'm actually okay playing it against myself because the game is fun to play. And win or lose, and I will do both in that type of games, I'm going to win and I'm going to lose, the game is still fun to actually go through that. Now, if I'm only playing it to win, then that's a problem. Keyforge. every time I played Keyforge against myself, I played with a different combination of two decks. I don't recall any time that I played the same two decks against each other multiple times in a row. And maybe that's bad because, you know, you kind of get a feel for the Mm -hmm. decks that way. But so I think that still kind of applies where it's like, okay, I've done it once. Now I want a new experience if I'm going to play both sides. But I
1: like at least getting it. I keep one deck the same. So it's like I'm learning one deck really well by playing it against my others.
2: Yeah. And and that's a great thing, too. But you're trying it against different things. So it it feels like a different game. And at least one of your brain side players um, is playing (laughs) something new.
1: Yes. Um, But, you know, I just I have a lot more limited time than you, I think, for gaming. I've got other stuff that I've got going on at my house, mostly that takes up my gaming space. It's not even that like the time is so limited. But if it comes to I have two hours, I have to entertain myself for two hours, I'm going to pick out a board game or do something else. I have so many good solo games, games that are made to be solo games that I have picked out for myself that I enjoy that I would probably pick over playing a game that was not designed to be solo by myself, or I'm more likely to go and play something on the Switch or whatever, online against humans, if I feel like it, or against an AI, or just a really fun, you know, solo video game.
2: Yeah, I will say, once, since I zo- downloaded Side on the iPad, I haven't played, I haven't even o- touched a board game by myself, except, well, I guess I got U-Boot, and I, I did put that together the other night, um, but mostly I've just been playing Zombicide. Side but I'm almost done. Only four more levels and then and I'm done. I can put it away and not play it anymore.
1: For my uh, bad parenting advice this week, um, Player 3 really loves watching people play Zelda. <laughs> 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 so I started playing Breath of the Wild after Spencer's been playing it. He's gone all the way through and now he's on master mode. So I was like, oh my gosh, I can at least, you know, take a few moments to play a video game while my kid will sit and just like, ah, oh. and he thinks it's fun.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I'm teaching my three month old to really like TV, but when he's in the room and the TV's on, his head is just staring straight at it. I'm like, <laughs> this too, is too much the most screen wonderful time. <laughs> <laughs> like, Game of Thrones might be a little too, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. You'll you'll grow into it.
1: Yeah, just wait till they start understanding things, and then you're like, oh, we can't, we can't do this anymore.
2: <laughs> All right, Fletcher, why don't you read this from Court?
0: Uh, okay, so Court says. The idea of getting out of a game, setting it up for two or more players, and then sitting there by myself and trying to play two different sides just doesn't appeal to me. Can you win this type of play? If not, what's the point? I'd rather play an app version of the game against an AI.
2: So, and I think we'll talk about that, but Adrian uh, responded, for me, it's not about the winning. It's about the playing. I enjoy playing the game, moving pieces, handling cards, thinking, etc. And if there's no one else to do it with, then you do it yourself. I think both of these are valid points, and I think it goes back to if you're playing to win, then you probably don't want to play against yourself because you don't want to lose, unless you're trying do we to we get- need
1: to revisit playing to win?
2: We do. That was way, way back. I think that was in the that was teens. like
1: I think that was like single digits. That was like single. seven. Now I'm going to look.
2: Yeah. Well, we also had an interview with uh, David Serlin, who wrote the book, Playing to Win, so we were talking to him about Codex. But I, I, I think I agree with Adrian a bit more here. For me, it is rarely the winning that makes me play a game. It is the act of playing the game that I enjoy. And if I don't enjoy playing the game, then I don't enjoy the game. Like, I could be the best player at it ever, but the game to me is dull and boring and uninteresting. I'm not going to play it.
1: We're both wrong. It's 28. Whew.
2: Yeah, we definitely need... So late. Yeah. Yeah, We have to wait another, I don't know, 10 episodes then or something. We're coming up on episode 150. We should do something cool for 150. I I know I said that that last week too, but I don't know. Uh,
1: Yeah, but we still don't have any good ideas. I have two months to think about it.
2: I'm also going back to work next week, and that's going to be interesting, so... That's a, a new adjustment. Yeah, to you're everything. gonna
1: have to start, you know, sleeping at night. Yeah, and not playing, it. playing games. Humans. Well, yeah, not, not playing games.
2: <laughs> yeah, not playing games against myself at two in the morning, which is what I have been doing occasionally, just every once in a while. Um, all right. So Steve says he says I was actually doing this with a game of Zaya. I wanted to test different strategies. So one player I decided would be aggressive, another would explore, etc. I was setting up, and a friend of my uh, a friend of my wife asked if she could play as well. So I let her take one of the people. So she had one player, and I was playing three. Now this is a whole different thing, and yeah. you see this a lot. I, I want to say you see this in like co op games where one person will take on multiple roles. But in a competitive game where one person takes on multiple ro- uh, roles, this can happen. So I'm going to continue reading here. Towards the end of the game, when one of my players screwed over another one of my players, letting her win, she was super surprised. Why would you do that? Because it was the best move for that player. Now he won't be the last. He will pass this, or he will pass this other player. But now you don't win. Yes, but that was the best move for this player. Why would he care who wins if it isn't him? She was super confused. So I think what Steve did here was actually jump into, like took seriously the strategies. He was playing the strategies and he's like, this is the best thing for this player's strategy. It's not about me ganging up three to one, because in Zaya, if you're playing three characters, you're going to beat that one person if you gang up in any way. Yeah, It's taking it seriously and saying, this is the right move for this player at this time. And it doesn't matter that it's going to you know let someone i'm not playing win.
1: Yeah. You can't uh you can't play favorites in this or it's not really playing the game.
2: I mean
0: you can but then it's just it's just the hollow victory, right? And like <laughs> at well, some that's point no fun.
1: it becomes like if you're not doing it to play each character's perspective to the best of that like, you know, color, let's call them colors. So, if you're playing, you know, red, blue, and green, if you're not playing red's best moves on red's turn, why are you doing this?
2: Yeah. Red's always <laughs> like, going like, to win what is anyway. The point? <laughs> yeah. Red is statistically speaking, red will win more often, but
1: it makes no sense. <laughs>
2: I'm not saying it does, but I, you're right. Like, so do Sudoku- it's
1: because it makes you hungry. Yeah. Well, it's like a crossword. makes you hungry for the win.
2: It's like a crossword puzzle where you're always looking up the answer in the back. It's like, yes, you can do that. And you can fill out the crossword. You know that the only reason you completed it is because you kept looking up the answers. So if that makes you happy, great. But if you are going to play multiple sides, you have to play each side. Like, that's the side that wants to win. And then I think it. you can, I don't know. I just, I had a lot of fun about it. And I get to pick show topics. So this is what I picked.
1: (laughs) I have a really good show topic for upcoming we'll talk about it later maybe right. 150
0: Episode maybe 150, 150. Ooh, dun, Is it dun, that dun. good no Teaser. <laughs> <laughs> all right should i read what joe wrote yes all right so joe wrote i will regularly do this for games that i'm just learning it helps me to understand the rules a lot better and i'll usually try to do lots of stuff try to do lots of different actions just to make sure i have all the mechanisms and rules straight really helped me to learn forum I, I don't know how to it. Forum Trojanum. Forum Trojanum, when I got that one.
2: Yep. And
1: It is very confusing why it's spelled with A's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it kills me every time. I've had to say it like 18 times on Dice Tower News, <laughs> and every time I'm like, Forum Trojanum. Yeah.
2: Well, and this is a Steffenfeld heavy Euro game. I believe it's Steffenfeld. Um, people can correct me if I'm wrong. But it is – these are the type of games where when I was looking at them – I'm like, I need to set this up. I need to play through the rules. Because in general, Euro games are relatively easy to learn. The problem is there's so much information when you first go through it. You're like, oh, whoa, where do I even begin? But really, it's usually just action selection, which can take the form of worker placement, can take the form of playing a card, can take the form of many different things. But you're just choosing an action, then you... Go through and do whatever, and you're trying to optimize your actions. So, optimizing the actions is where the real meat of the game would be. Taking those actions shouldn't be the difficult pieces, but they can be when you have so many. Um, I'm looking at You Feast for Odin, which literally has like 60 action spaces on it,
1: and they almost always have really crazy iconography. So, you're coming up with great things. Like when we played Castles of Burgundy and we kept being like, Oh, I'm gonna take ships. Ships can read.
2: <laughs> Ships can read. Exactly. I can't
1: remember even what the piece really does, but we kept taking Ships can read.
2: So and and that's another thing with the Euro games is uh, because a lot of them are actually developed in Europe, they try to be language independent. So if you're wondering why there's all this iconography in board games, typically there's no words on any of the components of those types of games. Uh, the only language differences are in the rule book so that you have this new language that everyone can read and it's language independent when you're actually playing the game so it's like ikea designed (laughs) a board game (laughs) basically yes
1: if you're just trying to learn the iconography if you're just trying to pick up like oh that you know means this it's a great way to do that you will pick up the symbols a lot faster you'll encounter them all especially playing multiple players
2: yes I don't know. I recommend this. If if you are someone who completely finds this absurd, let me know. Email us. Let me know why this is such an absurd thing. Now we had a couple people say it's like you know I just can't imagine doing this. Like if you can't if you're not winning, what's the point? So I understand that. But and I the thing is, I used to be in this camp. I used to be in this camp, and I've said it on this podcast. I don't understand why anyone would like go through all the effort of setting up a board game just to play by yourself. And then I started playing good games and i'm like oh
1: i think the huge difference you will find between people who do this and people who do not is people who have game tables that are not the tables they eat on Uh yeah (laughs) it makes such a difference
0: they have more than one uh at least like flat
1: surface to game on (laughs) yeah
0: flat surface to game on dining dining room size table Four-seater table.
2: Now, I am playing these all in one session, but I would agree that if you can leave a game out and play a few turns here and there, that it can be... It's much easier to do this, you know?
1: Yeah, because sometimes, you know, I've got 45 minutes before dinner and 45 minutes after dinner, and I can't have a game set up during both of those times without not having a place to eat my dinner.
2: Yeah, and I will say there's certain games that I want to do, but they're like hands-of-cards games where... Mm -hmm like deck builders and stuff like that i'm still a little adverse to that just because it's it becomes really fiddly
1: are you gonna start getting like the like you know they make them for kids but they're card holders
2: i have adult col- can- card holders
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course you do I have and you a- haven't set them up for each player
2: and they attach to my table
1: yeah i'm yep. shocked you haven't done it
2: well now that i'm thinking about it i'm like oh i could actually play dire wild and do this, I, you know something. I that should is what stop I'm doing encouraging
1: tonight. you. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I'm excited to hear how it goes.
2: Yes. So I have. We're. This is all through Game of Thrones season. We're recording on Monday night, so it gives me very little time to edit and put a podcast up. And this one's going to be fun because there is going to be a few edits in this one. Um, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna edit the podcast. I'm gonna take out the pieces that need to be taken out. I'm gonna put those. At, it's the just end be end one really at the end of the
1: I told you that he'd use all that material somewhere. I know he always does.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm also halfway through the second episode of our actual play, which I really have gotten faster on, but they're still taking a ton of time. But we're learning a lot from this. So, our patrons probably not when this episode drops, so it won't be Tuesday morning, but maybe by Wednesday. Morning. There should be the second of three from our actual play, and I'm going to immediately start editing the third one. So the third one should come much faster, and so that's going to be cool. But let's go to listener mail. Um, who wants to go? I'm going to go first on this one. Okay, because I haven't talked enough lies. Eric Scher corrected me. He says last week I said that HeroScape was a game that a a YouTube series Inside the Box did, where one person's a DM and the other people are trying to, like, go through the adventure. That is not HeroScape. That's HeroQuest. HeroScape is a miniatures game with 3D tiles. But my rebuttal to this is yep, I was wrong. But they're both out of print anyway, so it doesn't (laughs) matter. (laughs) And then Terrence asked a question that I think is interesting. So um, actually, let's end with that. So, uh, Fletcher, why don't you go next? Okay. So, uh,
0: this email actually came in a couple weeks ago, and I missed it last week, but Trevor da- Davis wrote in, and he wrote a big, long email. Um, he, like he always does. He, like Trevor, he always we love does. You. And uh, it was funny because I want to point out two things in this email. For, so, number one, he apologizes, and I think he tries to apologize on everybody's behalf for calling me Josh a few times, <laughs> um, and... He says he's sorry about that, uh, but it seems like I'm a cool guy. But the part of his email that he's really talking about, uh, or that I want to get to, is where he talks about how a lot of people do charisma checks backwards, or just kind of like in uh, to use like D and D parlance, like you know, um, doing ability rolls. Um, and he he talk he's basically he's saying that instead of rolling the dice. How most people do is they roll a dice, there's a number, and then the D&D or the the dungeon master kind of interprets that number as like what you do. So if you roll a one, you kind of like, you know, you have a bad check. So he describes what happens. It's like maybe you're trying to impress somebody and you just like stumble around and, you know, fall flat on your face. Or if you roll a natural 20, then you give a big eloquent speech. But he says, essentially, you should do it the other way around. You should describe what you try to do. And then the DM can give you advantage or not advantage or maybe even like disadvantage and you roll the dice to see how well you tried to do that thing. Um, And I think that is a much better system overall. I don't know. What do you guys think?
2: I think that if you it depends on whether or not you want the stat to drive the character's ability so in, in general, I think the first way is the way that you would play it if you were gamifying it. So if you were playing a board game and you had a certain amount of charisma and you make a check and that gives you, if you get over 10, then you look, read the good side of the Prince card. If you get less than 10, you read the bad side of the Prince card. That's typically you're playing the character. The other way, if I understand correctly, is if you, you're like, I want to try to impress the Prince by telling him how great his shoes are and then... You roll the charisma die and like, okay, you rolled a one, you told him his shoes were a brand that they weren't really. And he took total offense to that. You know, I think that takes a little bit more creativity from the player themselves. And if the players are comfortable with it, that's fine. If not, yeah. that can be a problem. Yeah. That's and I do downside. think he
1: even said that in his emails that he's a very role play heavy uh, GM. He's mostly GMing, but... um playing as well, I'm sure. He's very role-play heavy. He's very comfortable doing this. So I am not always the most comfortable with the role-play aspect of role-playing games. I am much more into the mechanics And I think you need to remember that, you know, you have both kinds of players at the table and it can feel really unfair if somebody is just better at role playing than you. So they're getting advantage on all of their roles because they can come up with these like fun quirks and you're, you know, giving the GM your little spiel and they're like, okay, you get plus two for excellent role playing to your role. And then it's like, well, I guess I never get plus twos. I never get advantage. I never get these things because... I don't like to talk about this kind of stuff. I'd rather make sure I'm getting my sneak attack bonus for flanking. <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> and I think there's a middle ground here, too, where, yeah. you know, tell me what you're trying to do. It's like, I want to impress the prince by, c- you know, commenting on his shoes. Okay, roll. And then I will tell you what happens. You don't have to role play the entire scene. And then I'd give you a result of that role play And giving advantage and disadvantage... Honestly, as a DM, I typically do that if I want to see something succeed or I think that something's so <laughs> absurd that it shouldn't succeed. But I also want to give the chance that it goes against my absurd meter, I guess. So it's like, I don't know. Whatever you just said, I think that's cool. I'm going to give you advantage because I will be entertained if it works out. But if it doesn't, that's <laughs> fine. The dice dice are going to do what the dice are going to do. But uh, yes. Um, and I think... Yeah, eventually we'll have our actual play out there. This this first adventure, it's rough. It's rough. I'm editing it and it's it's really <laughs> rough. But we're going to get better at it. It's, I didn't realize how much better you can get at role playing by just listening to yourself role play. Yeah. There is a benefit to doing what we're doing, even though it is incredibly time consuming. Um, we're going to keep doing it because I think that the rewards are going to be good. All right. Final thing from Terrence. He has a question that I think is he interesting. Skipped here. me. Oh, did I skip you? You sure did. Uh, right, Kitty, you are doing <laughs> the penultimate. I just realized I just learned what that really means. So you're doing the penultimate oh. listener email, which means all second right. to last.
1: Um, from Eric Seelander, Um, He says that he needs to clarify on my comment that everyone sounds like chipmunks when you play them at um, higher speeds. He says that on apps like Overcast, it does not make people sound like chipmunks. It does not change the pitch of their voice at all. Furthermore, 1.25 and usually 1.5 don't sound like the speaker is talking fast unless they are already a fast talker, which is rarely the case. In those cases, the speeds enhance the experience because it makes the speaker sound more eloquent and it keeps your attention better. I'm not saying you personally need to speed up play, but your impression of the experience isn't accurate. I recently switched over to Overcast, but before that, I had been using Apple Podcasts. And on Apple Podcasts, if you hit the button, and on Audible, if you speed up the sound, they might not sound chipmunky. That might not be fair. But it sounds different, and it sounds weird. And if you're switching back from something where you're not doing it to something where you are, it's like too uncanny for me. And that's just my personal opinion. But uh, Eric recommends that everyone speed them up, because you can listen to more stuff. So...
2: On Overcast, are you speeding it up to
1: 1.25? I just do the remove pauses.
2: 1.25, I think, does the same thing, because it'll—it it's just trying to get to 1.25, but it does it by removing s- pauses, as well as speeding up the voice a little bit. I barely notice a difference between one two five and 1 normal.
1: Listen to it normal. I I don't know, like, if you're switching back and forth, because I hit the button by accident one time, and I was just sitting there like, what is wrong with this podcast? (laughs) Like, there's something off. I don't like this. Like, I normally really enjoy this podcast. I think sometimes it accidentally ruins the mood by removing, like, dramatic pauses or, like, things that are meant to be said with purpose.
2: Fletcher, I cut you off, but I I think you're taking my side on this.
0: No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> i love it
0: uh so i agree with kitty and also the listener worth like not it doesn't make it chip and some in some it does but like to me it makes it more like an ad where it's like no purchase necessary void were prohibited blah, blah 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 where yeah it sounds it, like you're illegal legalese very, they're just trying very, to get through
1: it as fast as possible
0: yeah it's very staccato type of speech and it sounds like an ad where it you're missing like you know, maybe like one third of each syllable or something like that.
1: And it
2: it just sounds weird. It sounds like I'm listening to one giant ad. Well, I'm going to keep listening to most of my podcasts on Overcast at 1.5. When I'm listening with somebody else, I'll put it to 125. And like I say, typically, it's a good compromise. But I get in about 50% more podcasts that way. So I'm going to keep doing that. But
0: some are some are supposed
2: to be like really slow, like ninety nine percent invisible. If you listen to like "Hello,
0: oh I'm Roman
2: Mars," it's like how, how do you listen to of that? The I'm like, right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So glad to have somebody back me up. Now
2: I I still I don't know I uh, yeah. Once I started listening to it faster, now whenever I listen to something slower, it's like pulling my teeth out. It's like chalk, nails on chalkboards. It's so excruciatingly non-information dense, but. Again, I I have too many projects. I I don't have time to just sit there and listen at normal speed. I've even gotten to YouTube where I'll kick YouTube to one point five. That's absurd. That is chipmunks. But usually, if I'm just trying to like get a really quick you know idea of something, I'll kick it to 1.5. Um, normally, my YouTubes are still normal. All right. Last feedback. No listener mail from Terence. He has a question. He says he's looking at the Island of El Dorado and the monster and Monster Slayer, Monster Slaughter, actually. He says, both of them have reprint and expansion Kickstarters up. He was thinking of buying the base game now and backing the expansion and getting it later. The upside, obviously, is you get to play the game now while you wait for the expansion. But he's asking, are there any downsides to this? And he gives a couple examples that I think are interesting. Um, The first one is easier to probably respond to, so I'll do that first. But he says, maybe the base game is much improved with the expansions. Something like Zaya. So, When Zaya first came out, it was – I think it was pretty much widely accepted as a a really good game. But the expansion made it better. It mitigated – gave you options of mitigating luck, um, gave you more things you could do. It kind of regulated trade a little bit. It it added a lot to the game where if you're playing Zaya without the expansion, you're playing a somewhat different game – I don't know. What, do you, Kitty, you are my Kickstarter cohort. What do you think about this when an expansion comes up on Kickstarter and the rules change? Is this a reason not to back the original or not to buy the original game?
1: So I think it kind of depends. If they're changing the components of the base game, you should go with the Kickstarter version. It's usually going to be better. They've put more thought into it. They've come back to it. But if it's just a change in the rulebook, they almost always, if you're backing the expansion, you will get access to the rule book in a digital form, and you can just print it and use the rules.
2: Yeah. Or at least know they're coming. Like, Zaya had some new components, and so you knew they were coming. So you could read the rules and be like, oh, I see what they're doing here. Now, in a way, I think my OCD would not allow me to play the game until the new components came in, because it'd be like, oh, there's a new game Basically, it's a new game coming in. I can't play it right now. I know what the rules are, but I don't have the components to play it. If that were the case, I'd probably wait. I probably would not buy the base game now. This is assuming you didn't back the original Kickstarter. I'd probably wait and just back everything all at once. In fact, I've done that for some things. His other question here kind of leads into your other statement. He's like, what about cards, boards, pieces not matching in different print runs of the base expansion? This can be a concern, but as I understand it, and cross your fingers that this is usually the case for most, uh well, hopefully for most Kickstarters, they're using the same manufacturer both times and sending in the same files. They're requesting the same components. So in general, everything should match. Now, there have been cases where this hasn't been the case. Uh, Seventh Continent is one, which... It wasn't even that the expansion didn't match itself. It's that the game cards inside the box didn't match themselves. Um, or I think there was there was some reason why the cards didn't match. So they actually went through and sent a new set of cards to everybody who backed the game. Said, look, we understand the cards. There's subtle differences, but side by side, you can see them. And this is a game about not knowing what the cards are. So we're just sending you a completely new set. So I'm, I would hope that if that was the case, that they would send you replacements or at least they would solve the problem. And in general, I would not consider this as a reason of not backing an expansion. But I don't know what you guys think.
1: I think if they're putting an expansion on Kickstarter for an existing game, they are expecting people to already own the base game in a lot of cases. So they are making it backwards compatible. They're making sure that it matches up if it is necessary for it to match up. Sometimes though, you will get games where they know it's not really necessary, so they won't make as big an effort. Yeah. And if that's going to bother you, then usually these games that are coming out with expansions, they don't take quite as long as games, especially bigger games that have a lot of development time still left in them.
2: Yeah. And cards, you have a solution. You can sleeve them. Um, I have taken to sleeving my cards, even if I usually just sleeve them with clear backs, like I use penny sleeves. Um, I don't well, actually, I do know why. I have certain friends and relatives that do not treat my cards like cards that are not replaceable. They treat them I like... I won't
1: stop eating candy at your table no matter how many times you <laughs> ask me.
2: Yeah, and that's why I put sleeves <laughs> on my cards. <laughs> no, it's... it's. But I'll, I'll see, like, people who play... Um, that primarily just play, like, you know, 52-card games. Pick those... Up. You can throw away those decks, but they, they turn them into, like, spindles. Like, it's once they touch them, they're done. Or the people who put the cards on the edge of the table and then put their arm on the table and all of a sudden they've just creased the card. Oh my goodness. I, nobody's allowed to play my games anymore. We're done. We're done. <laughs> I'm I'm only playing them by myself. I'm only playing games against myself. That's the whole point of this podcast. And that's how we're going to end this. So if you want to follow <laughs> us, you can follow us on Facebook at slash Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. You can follow us at Twitter at Tabletop Game TLK. Kidney is Lawful Good Mom. Fletcher is net Fletch. I'm Game Master Chris. Leave us a review. We haven't gotten a review in quite a while. So just go to iTunes and leave us a review. And it's actually
1: really really (laughs) easy
2: on, well, if if, don't use the podcast app on iTunes or on your iPhone. But if you do use it, it's really easy to leave a review on it now. Um, And if you want to listen to our actual play, you can go to tabletopgametalk.com slash Patreon. Uh, $2 gets you all of our patreon content and which includes all this actual play stuff which will eventually come out on its own channel but at least for the foreseeable future um is going to be patron only and fletcher notice what i'm about to do right now so sorry about that (laughs) but that's just gonna be what it is and all right kitty take it away
1: tabletop game is a proud member of the dice tower network Thanks for listening, and remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com.
2: And finally, a huge thank you to our patrons. Adam Harrison, the SGC, Thomas Atcherey, Jason Strong, Terrence Milner, Stephen Seitz, Michael Ole, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Way, Stephen Phillips, Caleb O'Brien,
0: Jennifer, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Wickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Loom, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong.
1: Christopher Vincent, Nate, Faz Flintham, Sean Peck, Eric Sealander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Wesley Trailer, Tim Verdig, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Wolkowiak, Barry Peterson, Ben Gary, Emile Jewell Jacobson. Marina Stevens, Brady Meltzer, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, and Stephen Judd.
2: Until next week, keep playing games and having fun.
1: I thought my mess up of the intro was going to be your biggest editing challenge for this episode. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong.
2: <laughs> hmm. Maybe I'll just put that right here. Was there a follow up? Oh,
1: <laughs> we lost Chris. We lost Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Technical difficulties. I mean, he's already going to have to edit this part. We might as well talk.
0: I know that's true. He's. I wonder if he notices that.
1: I typed in the thing.
0: Yeah, but I I'm just wondering if he even notices or if he's just on a Chris train like full steam ahead.
1: You have to be careful though, because we're recording, so he will use this material. Sometimes against you. Maybe
0: it's just with me.